Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today. Before I begin, I need to pray. Father God, we just come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for being full-time in our life. We ask that you please allow us to receive your word today. Let it resonate in our heart. Keep our hearts softened and melted for you, God. Please allow us to be able to understand exactly what it is that you want us to do in this world as we overcome all of the desires and temptations of this world, God. So reveal to us everything that we need to do as individuals so that we can be, have sustainability, Lord God. We want to be able to have prosperity and be blessed while we are here. So God, please allow us to interpret your word in a way where it's demystified to us, Lord, and we can apply everything that we need to apply in our life so that we can be victorious, Lord. Do not allow us to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So God, we just thank you right now. We ask that you will allow us to be able to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit take permanent residence inside of us, Lord God. Allow us to our allow our ears to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, including allow us to hear and see things through your eyes and ears so that we're not dependent on our own understanding. But in all of our ways, let us acknowledge you so that you can direct our paths, God. So we just ask that we can see and hear people the way that you see and hear them. So we will not be deceived because we have discernment. We also have the mind of Christ and therefore no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So God, we just thank you right now that you allow your perfect love to dwell in us and allow us to just show love to all people no matter what experience experiences that we go through god do not allow us to be victims of any emotional or physical trauma in any experience in the name of jesus christ it is sealed in your atonement blood and oh and also god i just pray that you just please allow me to be led completely by the holy spirit not allowing do not allow me to forget anything at all during this podcast so everything that i need to talk about god let me be able to talk about it let me um minister grace to the hearer and that which is edifying to those that are filled with despair and hopelessness um specifically those individuals that have been impacted within the um criminal justice system or or prison system god and now they're trying to be reintegrated back into society to live a life where they can have sustainability in their employment and housing. So God, we just ask that you just open up doors for your children that have changed their lives and have given themselves to you, God. Allow them to um, just walk in the path of righteousness and also have, you know, prosperity, God. And so we just thank you right now. We speak life to every situation that you are leading us in god and we just thank you right now father god that your plan will and purpose will be fulfilled in our life we also ask lord that um you just make sure that we have vitality in our soul and in our daily lives god give us vitality and prosperity in our lives and in our soul in the name of jesus christ we thank you we give you glory praise and honor and god we really want your will to be done in our life that's the most important thing so god please allow your will your plan your purpose to be fulfilled in our life not anyone or anything else in the name of Jesus Christ, it is sealed in your atonement blood. Amen. Hey, hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today on Laws, Life, and Health. Let's talk about it, right? So 
today I'm talking about um, the future of ex-offenders um, and being able to combat recidivism, right? So yesterday I did talk about several um, things, right? I wanted to clarify a few things that I said. Okay, so with the video with yesterday with Andrew Lockie, um, with him discussing how charity can sort of impact poverty and um, stigma, also biases um, for with organizations that are uh, for profit, and they can also sort of um, counter. Um, counter-attack public interest in some ways, right? So I wanted to point out that it is essential for everyone to understand that philanthropy is organizations that give back. They are the ones who are providing these social services to people. Um, NGOs are non-government organizations. They are also part of the process of giving back to marginalized communities, uh, either in the United States or internationally, right? So poverty itself is usually um, attempted to be neutralized by these um, philanthropy organizations or organizations within the charity sector that may include NGOs and other um nonprofit organizations, right? And so one thing that we all need to understand is that people that are marginalized, they know exactly what they're experiencing. They are the ones who will have the best ideas to help improve their community, okay? Now, I'm not, I wasn't saying yesterday to eradicate the ideas of organizations that are trying to support marginalized communities. What I'm simply advocating for is uh, making sure that organizations, um, organizations that are within the charity sector can accommodate the needs of those that are in the community based upon their suggestions as well, right? So for instance, I have actually met with individuals and talked to people who have said, well, you know, they roll past the neighborhood, so they know what the community needs, right? So how can someone who serves your community right past your community and know what your community needs? Right. So we all need to be aligned when it comes to community goals and advocating for those individuals that are more marginalized. And in order to do that is to meet them at their needs. So, for instance, if I just I just want to give this example. Right. So if I am, just say I am a foundation company and I am going to give funding out to an organization that is trying to help, you know, combat um, poverty by, you know, creating a way to um, allow marginalized people to obtain employment. So my that org organization is trying to request funding from me. The main thing 
when it comes to being able to collect funding, it might be easy to get the funding without having any members of the community present. Because you have researchers who have collected data and information surrounding, you know, the um the adverses adversities in that community. But the problem is, is that you don't have anyone representing anyone present in that community to speak on community members' behalf. There are always mediators in every single community, all right? The mediators are the people who, you know, can, they know what's going on in their neighborhood, okay? They are the gatekeepers, usually, of the community. And so, in order to be able to really significantly make an impact Community members need to have more civic engagement, which means organizations within the charity sector are going to need to identify the needs of community members that are suffering due to disparities in housing, employment, and education, right? So in order for us to be able to combat a lot of these issues, there needs to be effectiveness and not just efficiency, the way that Andrew Lockie mentioned yesterday. So I wanted to look at some scriptures here, okay? Um, if we go back to um, Romans chapter 6 and 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. What that means is that it doesn't matter if you are a male or a female. When you are set free from sin, you become a slave to righteousness. So that means that you are attached you are chained to righteousness. You are attached to Jesus Christ. You are attached to God. You are chained as a slave to God. So I was praying. Um, I was praying about this to God earlier today. And so God was telling me that. You know, some people have an issue with women actually ministering the word of God. And so I have already went over this. Okay. And <laughs> I went over this in depth. All right. On the women's health blog. So I'm going to briefly, just briefly go over understanding the role as becoming a slave to righteousness and what it really means to be a slave to righteousness okay so when you think of a slave right you think of um let's look at let's see hold on when when you when you think of a slave you think of someone that has uh involuntarily done you know, attach uh, some servitude, right? But the debt of our sin being paid through Christ 
allows us freedom. So we are freed from sin, right? Which is many times sin is involuntary and is voluntary. And the, the reason why I'm saying that is because you have these conscious sins and you have these unconscious sins. Let me give you an example before everybody jumps to conclusions. Please don't do that. So what God was telling me today. Now, God said, I, I, was, I was having a long prayer with God today, you all. A very, very long prayer. And so I want to go to a couple verses here so that we can reflect on this. And I'm going to tell you what God the word that God gave me. Okay. All right. So this is the, this is what God gave me. All right. Let me go to, I want to go to Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. All right. I got to remember to put this on the blog too. So in um, Genesis chapter 12, we see the call of Abram, right? So the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you, okay? I will make you into a great nation. So the word nation, in, it actually means foreigner, right? Um, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and I will be a blessing, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curse you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Right? So I'm going from one scripture in Romans 6 and 18, where it talks about you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And I'm going back to the book of Genesis chapter 12, where God blesses Abram. Because it, they're interlinked, okay? They're connected. And I'm going to tell you how, okay? So today I was having a talk with God about forgiveness, right? And when you forgive people, you just really let it go. And so God was asking me, he said, so your enemies, you have forgiven them. And I said, well, yes, God, I have forgiven them. And I actually would like for you to help them become better children. I pray that you will allow them to have their heart softened and melted for you, God. I want, I want you to intervene on their behalf, God. You know, that's what I would prefer. For each, for each person that has been deceived by Satan, God, I pray that you will intervene for them. And that you will help them. God, you know, because what I figured out is the more and more you learn about God, the more and more you understand that it isn't about you. It's never about you because once you save, if, go back. Look, let's look. I'm going back to Romans 6 and 18. You have been set free from sin. So once you set free from sin, you set free from that bondage. You set free from that involuntary lifestyle. See, see, because your mind is utilized through the past. See, your, your conscious is your co-perception. God influences your perception and you have discernment 
and understanding. That is what your perception is. Your perception allows you to have discernment, understanding, and clarity. Your co-perception is your conscious, right? So you understand that you're going to be influenced by the power of the Holy Spirit because God created Adam in his image and everything else after that came from Eve. So Eve is the mother to all the living, all living beings, all people. So once you understand that there is a seed of good and the seed of uh the, the seed of, of God and the, and the seed of Satan that was produced through Eve. So you you we are always going to battle good and evil. So when we understand Romans 6 and 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So we are set free. You are set free. So when you when I go back to Genesis and I'm looking here and God is asking me about forgiveness and I'm like, God, well, you know, I want you to help people because it's like they really do need your help. You know, it's like I talk to you, God. You've been in my life. You're helping me. You you give me peace. You give me prosperity. You give me vitality. You help me. You know, so it's people that don't understand that. They don't understand what real peace feel like. They don't understand what real love feel like. So, God said, look, when a, when a army veteran goes to war, Prior to them going to war, this is what God said to me, okay? He said, prior to them going to war, there's usually negotiation practices that take place amongst government systems or government authorities, right? And so God said, there is always in intervention that takes place before acts of war. And I was like, okay, God, so explain to me, um, what, what, like, what, what, where are you headed with this, you know? And so God said that there is an army veteran that just really don't seem to understand how God can use a, a woman minister because he hasn't been someone that has been taught by women to understand the Bible. And so God said to me that this army veteran needs to understand that there are preventative measures in place before war. Now, I know I'm talking to one of God's children today, right? So before war, Government authorities attempt intervention. Many times when intervention fails, then war is enacted. So what God said to me was, your prayer, your forgiveness was intervention 
on your part. That was your duty, your responsibility. So God is saying that when you pray, you're acting within your position of power that he's giving you. When you forgive, you're acting in the authority that God has given you. When you pray for your enemies, you're acting in that same authority that God has given you. Anything outside of that authority is not from God. So you pray, you forgive, and you pray for your enemies. So God said to me, that is your intervention. Prayer, forgiveness, and praying for your enemies. He said, my intervention, so God's intervention is done through your obedience. Your obedience to pray, forgive, and pray for your enemies. So you pray about the situation. You forgive and you pray for your enemies. You understand? Pray about the situation, forgive, and pray for your enemies. God is saying his intervention is when you are obedient to him. He says intervention is already done. Your obedience is the intervention that happens on your behalf because God is already acting. He said that I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Because anytime in war, anytime there is war, people have intervention, but their hearts are so hardened that they have to be defeated during the war in order to understand that they lost the battle. So children of Satan is out here uh, rampaging everything and doing whatever it is that they want to do and they think that they're getting away with it but God is saying they are not getting away with anything because intervention has been made by God's children intervention to pray about the situation to forgive and to pray for enemies that's the intervention. God's children being obedient to make their supplication and have forgiveness and pray for their enemies. That's the intervention through the obedience of God's children. God's intervention is saying, look, I am going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Just like in war, there are intervention measures that are implemented to prevent war. There are preventative measures. But the opposing side never understand that they're defeated 
until they're defeated. God is saying in Romans 6 and 18, you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves to righteousness. Let's look at verse 15. Romans chapter 6, verse 15 through, through 18. Actually, let's look at verse 15 through verse 23. I want to look at this whole thing right here. Slaves to righteousness. So you can understand the uh, power of this scripture. So what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. See, it's all about your obedience. And so God said, that their hearts are hardened. And therefore God can only bless those that bless you. And he will curse those that curse you. And there's nothing else that you can do about it. Because God said that when it's war, wars will happen. So obedient slaves if you're obedient slave to sin or you're obedient slave to righteousness that means that you are attached to righteousness or you are attached to sin so in verse 17 but thanks to be to god that through you Though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. See, it's not about what people tell you that you are. Yes, you can look at that reflection. See, and, and I do look at it. Like I always am, I'm always self-reflexive, which means that I love understanding the opposing ideas of others. So if you say something about me, I'm going to reflect on it. If it's a foolish ideology and it makes no sense whatsoever and it doesn't correlate with any of my character or personality, I don't even consider it. Because that means that you don't know me. But if you have something to say about me that's similar in anything of my personality or character, I am going to listen and I'm going to self-reflect on that. Because, see, it's all about a continuous process of learning. So in life, when we're going through experiences and making choices, some, a lot of people make choices that end them up in jail. And those choices are like, okay, well, were you a slave to sin or were you a slave to righteousness? And it's so easy to say that or it's so easy to ask that question when, you know, Everybody wants to deny that they are slaves to sin. We all have been a slave to sin at some point. Because before you knew God, you didn't know God. 
So I, I always like to go back to that. You know, you do remember you didn't know how to drive, but now you know how to drive. So that's good. Does that mean that you can't still learn new ways of driving more effective and efficient? You know, it, it doesn't matter how much you know. It's all about you learning more and more and more. And who do you look up to? Like, for instance, I have several different people that I really look up to. Right? I really love Paula White. Okay? <laughs> I've been listening to Paula White since I was about 18 years old. 17, 18 years old. All right? Um... And so I'm always listening to Paula White. <laughs> Actually, the Holy Spirit uses Paula White and she speaks. And there are a lot of people that have criticized Paula White for a lot of different things that she has endured in her life. But she has went through a lot. That woman is a strong woman. Okay. She came from a trailer park and um, she came from a broken home and she transformed her entire life. They accused her of, um, you know, misappropriation of funds where she had to go through a lot of stuff and, and with her church and she was uh, scrutinized and criticized and people just, you know, like made up a bunch of different stuff about her. And it, it was over $50,000 worth of funds that that was failed to be mentioned on her taxes and out of millions of dollars. So this woman, she went through a lot when, um, I mean, she went through a lot with her, with her ex-husband also with her, um, with her kids. I mean, when you talk about overcoming her testimony is very, very powerful. And so I love listening to Paula White. I actually look up to her in many different ways. And she always um, dresses really sharp and nice and always wears long dresses and nice heels, you know. Um, I, I actually love her style. Okay. Um, there isn't too many people I would say that I actually can look up to. Simply because I have... it. There has to be a proven track record of... Uh, success meaning that are you a, the type of person that is vulnerable can you talk about your vulnerabilities because if you don't know how to become vulnerable then you're not going to be teaching anybody else how, how to do anything in life because it's all about creating that vulnerable environment where you can talk about okay i did mess up here but you know this is what i've learned this is how i overcame because people that live in the real world, we all make mistakes every single day. Even when you go to work, you're expected to do a 100% thorough, accurate job. But there's always going to be a 5% margin of human error. So we're making mistakes. Voluntary and some people do them involuntary. But who do you look up to? Are you looking up to people who never make any mistakes? See, it's one thing to say, okay, yeah, you know, I made mistakes. Can you be more specific? Because everyone, everyone can say, oh, yeah, I made mistakes. 
And then that's it. But do you think that if you were to go on a job, you going on a job interview after spending time in jail, you think you're going to go to that job interview and you say, oh, yeah, I made a mistake. And that's about it. I, I learned and that's it. No, they want to know what type of mistake was it? What caused you to make that mistake? When did you make the mistake? How many times did you do it? So just because you saying that you made a mistake, you're not telling me anything. You just saying you made a mistake. So people in the real world, we want to know how did you overcome these vulnerabilities that you so-called endured from your mistakes? So as leaders, I can't just say, I'm going, I don't want you to be my mentor. I have had an accountability agent for my writing. And I tell you, that woman was fantastic. But in other areas, I would not say that. I wouldn't be able to, to state that. But as an accountability agent for me, on staying on top of all my writing and, and reading, what are you writing today? Um, what are you studying today? What, you know, like that on point, but I write every single day and I read every single day. So it's like, okay, this is, this is a lifestyle for me. So I can't say it's too many Paula Whites out here. There are not too many Paula Whites that are going to be bold and fearless and be able to overcome things in life through Jesus Christ. With the scrutiny and the type of criticism that she has received from a making a, a omission of error that was very tiny compared to the millions of dollars that she had to account for. I've actually made a mistake like that. I was making so much money and I forgot to report like, I think it was maybe like $25,000 or something like that. And I ended up, I'm like, um, no. Uh-uh. So that that doesn't even make sense. That how? That wasn't that's that's not accurate. That's not accurate. Cuz I wouldn't forget that, you know? But I'm just saying that if you're making millions and millions of dollars, you don't know what someone is going through. You don't know what they will forget. It's always a margin, a 5% margin of human error. But the fact that she can talk about her life and give her testimony is amazing. So there are not too many Paula Whites in this world. So when it comes to people that are influential, you want to make sure that you're looking up to the people who can be thorough and authentic about who they are. You always want to have someone that you can look up to. For one, I look up to God. I talk to God more than I talk to anybody in the world. And that is the honest truth. <laughs> I talk to God every single day more than I talk to anybody else in this world. I spend more time with God than I spend doing any activity in this world. And that's the truth. So the interesting thing about this is that where you spend your time at the most really is something that is influencing you.
so when I'm on social media, what what God was telling me, because like I really have gotten so tired of being on social media. <laughs> like I feel like this is the most I've spent on social media than I have in my entire life of having access to the internet. And so I want you all to understand that social media does influence choices. From the time you are in your mother's womb, the entire world is preparing to influence you. The entire world is prepared to influence your parents through marketing efforts of different toys, foods, um, learning materials, everything before you are even born. So everything in this world is an influence. People like to say, oh, I'm not influenced by nobody. Oh, you're influenced by somebody. Everybody's influenced by somebody. Which is why God says in the word, let's go to this scripture here. I want to go to this other scripture. There's actually two scriptures that I like to go to. Go to Proverbs 13 and 20. And then I want to go to... um. Okay. I also want to go to uh, Psalm 1 and 1. So let's look at this. Proverbs 13 and 20. It says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools, you will suffer harm. No, I'm sorry. For a companion of fools suffers harm. That's the NIV version. The New Living Translation states, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. That's the King James Bible. The Amplified Bible says, he who walks as a companion with wise men will be wise, but the companions of conceited or dull-witted Fools are fools themselves and will experience harm. So what this means is that people that are deceived are really unwise. So they are also a fool. A fool is somebody that lack common sense. So for instance, you, you going through all of these problems in life, but you getting advice from somebody who couldn't even overcome one of the problems you went through. See, some friends, they can't give you advice past their level of experience. How can they help you overcome that something that they never overcome? That's like your friend is giving you relationship advice 
and she has never been married. Your, your homie is giving you relationship advice and can't stay in a, a relationship for a year. How do that work? How can you seek advice from individuals that have no historical behavior of success in that area? So a person that doesn't believe in God, why, why would you argue with someone that doesn't believe in God? They don't know God. So why debate with someone who doesn't know God? Oh, well, see, the Bible says this and the Bible says that. I didn't ask you what the Bible says. How has God made you feel? See, because it's always really about the way a person feels. See, because when Adam and Eve sinned, that's when these feelings and emotions came into place. Feelings and emotions come in through desires. So you got, you have these feelings and emotions. It's like, okay, well, you know. You over here thinking that your cousin marriage is way better than your marriage. Or your cousin who's never been married is uh has a better relationship than your married one. So you chosen to acknowledge and respect the vow before God while this person that you're talking about will never ever make a commitment or a vow before God. So many times choices are being influenced by people who won't give you the best advice. So if you're walking with unwise people, you will become unwise. If you walk with the wise, you will be wise. But the companion of fools, you will suffer harm. <coughs> you will be destroyed. That's what that means. So you don't want to walk with unwise people because fools are what? Fools are people that lack common sense. Spiritual common sense. Cause see, one time, well, I had a conversation with some other believers. We used to have fasting um and weekly bible studies in my house every single week on wednesdays and we looked we we did a word study on fool and um basically everything that i read about fools it simply means to lack common sense to lack spiritual common sense either way you put it it's a, a lack of spiritual common sense if you know for instance, you know that God is with you. So why do we doubt that God is with us? What causes people to doubt? Because these are all main issues that we experience sometimes on a daily basis. It's like, okay, well, I'm wondering, is my kid going to go and listen to me today? 
I love my baby. I love my kids. Are they going to listen? That is that doubt or is that, you know, is that faith? You know, so we, we all are experiencing some forms of, of doubt at some point. And I'm not going to say we all experience it every single day. We do go through that experience of doubt. And so in order to overcome it, you have to first identify what causes it. It's, it's the flesh of your, it's the mind. It's the environment. So even though I was around all of these, you know, godly church people, we are all going to church every single week. It's like, they say, well, no, such thing is spiritual common sense. And I was like, there is a such thing as spiritual common sense. Like it's, it's common sense to know that you have to brush your teeth every day. And it's common sense that you should know that you should pray. So when you are equipped with the spirit of God, you're going to know that you automatically need to pray. That's an automatic spiritual norm and then i read i read too that some people don't like you putting these modern words on spiritual um on your spiritual perspectives of god don't use that type of language we don't agree with those memes see all of those things is what hinders the children of God from entering into his kingdom because of the religious Pharisees and Sadducees type of perspectives. It isn't really about, you know, how, you know, you messed up and this person did this and that. No, it's really about identifying areas where you need improvement. This is something that is very, very difficult for all of us to be able to accomplish. It has been a difficult process. But I can tell you all that it's possible to live a very abundant and peaceful life with having self-reflection Through God, you pray to God and you say, you know, God, I do not want to be a fool. What does what does fool specifically mean to you, God? According to everything that I read, a fool is someone that lacks common sense, a lacks spiritual common sense, lacks spiritual wisdom, lacks spiritual knowledge. That is a fool, God. This is what a fool is. So, God. I don't want to be a fool. Please show me if my actions is, is doing things that is foolish so that I won't do them. So you have to understand that people are going to jail. Because many times they may have companions that are fools. It's just like 
How how do you try to get marriage advice from somebody that never been married? But it's people out here that really live their life like that. Oh, my cousin, she been with her boyfriend for fat 10 years. And they got a house and her husband working. He take her on shopping sprees and do all of those things. But you don't know. They're not married. And, and you know what? He makes her very unhappy at home. You just don't know that. While your husband over there working his back going out. Every single day with some raggedy socks on and shoes going to work hard. You comparing your marriage to somebody who's not married. That's a companion of fools. So, but it isn't just one specific person that do that. We all have done that at some point. The problem is, is that people never want to admit when they've done something wrong. So God is just, God keeps telling me just really really talk about how learning from your mistakes will create resiliency you have to understand that our understanding people that we look up to should be people that are wise not because of their socioeconomic status or because of their income i just spoke about the other day I think that was on Tuesday, how my friend was a very wealthy man. And all he talked about was Google. And then didn't even want to buy his sister kids anything for Christmas. Like, I thought that that was so unethical. Well, she's the one who had the kids. I don't have any kids. If I had kids, I, I wouldn't bring kids in the world if I couldn't take care of them. Like, okay, well, that's fine. She apparently chose a man who couldn't support her. You think she learned from her mistake or you don't? So you as a wealthy person not going to intervene and help her at all because you need to show her that that mistake that she made is a lifetime condemnation. Don't ask you for no help. So, of course, I'm not attracted to somebody who doesn't have benevolence in their heart. <laughs> That's a no-brainer, right? But it doesn't matter what your bank account look like. You don't even have compassion on your sister for your sister. <laughs> what? What? Oh, let me pray for you. Better yet, you know what? I'm a... I'm going to call you back. That's I'll just let me get off this phone. Okay? Because <laughs> some of the stuff that I've heard, I just, you all would be shocked. Maybe you wouldn't be. I don't know. All I'm saying is this. People are out here judging people for things that really they made a mistake doing. And I'm not saying that, that somebody who had kids and not married, you know, is like, foolish all the time they may be wise in many other areas they may be a great investor maybe have a you know a very nice personality and really have benevolence in their heart what i'm saying is we need to make sure that we're getting our understanding from people that can be led by god 
So for some reason, I just could never really like look up to certain people. I never have. I can tell you that pretty much my entire life. I have been around nothing but a lot of leaders. (laughs) Yeah, I can tell you that right now. I have met some amazing people. I have met Congress members, um, politicians, um, wealthy people. Um, I have family members that are politicians. I have um, met a lot of different wonderful professors in higher education that I would never in my life forget, ever. That I would email them and say, hey, you know, I was thinking about you. Your kind words, you know, so like, so what I'm saying here is that not everyone is is kind of like worthy of you walking with them in a way where you are agreeing with them. You taking their advice. Like, for instance, I love my mom. I do. I love my mom more, more than anything in this world. Like, I love my kids more than anything in this world. But I never looked up to my mom. I looked up to my grandmother. So I have, <laughs> she she instilled a lot of values and morale when it came to understanding God and who God was and dedication in marriage. So it's like, okay, well, I know I wanted seven kids, but I only have four. And I also know that, you know, marriage is very important, but it's not important to everybody. It's important to God. Marriage is definitely important to God. Let's talk about, let's talk about that for a second. And then um, I want to go to Psalms 1 and 1. So, um, a man leaves his father and mother and is united unto his wife. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2 and 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So, this, this tells us that this is a union between man and woman. So, so marriage is important to God. So if people tell you, oh yeah, you know, I love God. I believe in God, you know, but you've been fornicating for 15 years and then never, ever tried to dedicate a marriage to that woman that you've been with for over 10 years. And, and the Bible also tells us here, right? A man leaves. No, no, no. Um, it says when a man when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. So if you go to your Bibles to Proverbs eighteen and twenty two, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. So if somebody sitting here telling you they believe in God, but they're not listening to this, well, what's up? What's up with you? Are you saying that? I mean, I hear you, but your actions and your 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 words not matching. I had somebody just tell me the other day, well, you know, I hear what you're saying, but 
it just seemed like you, you know, like your your words not matching your actions. Like, how can you know that? And I talk to you maybe twice a month on the phone or not even that much. How would you know that? So, like, that's kind of tripped out. But Proverbs 18 and 2. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. So, here's another thing. 1 Corinthians 11 and 3. I want to go there. It says, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, see... This scripture had bothered me because I was attracted to women and I was intimate with women. So when I think about this scripture, I understood what God is saying. It's clear what God says right here. Because see, the word of God is God breathes. So many people say, well, wait, God, gee, God didn't say that. Paul said that. James said that. God didn't say that. First of all, the word of God is God breathed. This is this is I I want to let me let me go go here cuz see God is leading me here. Okay. So let's go, let's go here. There's another scripture I want to go to after this. So we're going to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that means that Women can be servants of God, right? Right? So all scripture is God breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we are servants of God. Now I want to talk about the scripture where there are people that actually disagree with women being able to minister the word of God, right? So it says, um, oops, one second. Let me pull this up. Okay, here we go. I, I talked about this too. Um, so I don't really really go that much into detail about it. Cause I already talked about this on another podcast where I, um, I talked about, uh, women's, women's, uh, health. Okay. So that's, uh, we're going to go to first Timothy chapter two. Okay. So when we see here, it says learn. Okay. I want to look at the King James Bible. Okay. Let's go to King James here. So that way we could demystify any, um, any confusions. See, because God isn't a God of confusion, right? So it says here in um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, in the manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness 
shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broaded hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So women should profess godliness with their good works, right? This is what the Bible is telling us. In verse 11, it says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. So she learns in silence and subjection. Because see, when Eve listened to the snake, guess what happened? He said, well, God did. Did God really say that you could not eat from the tree? And so she confirmed it. But see, Satan, the serpent, was was made her curious because she was already curious. So he just tempted her curiosity. This has, that's in Genesis. It should be in Genesis chapter four, or chapter um chapter yeah Genesis one. I think that's in Genesis one and verse four. Or no, I think it's Genesis chapter four. Let me see. Genesis chapter 4, where it talks about the serpent. Now, that's Cain and Abel. So, that's going to be before that. That's That should be in Genesis. Um, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. So, when we go here to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and it says, But which becoming women professing godliness with good works. So, women should profess that godliness with good works. In verse 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Okay? And I also want to pull up the strong concordance on this too. So that, that way we won't, there won't be no confusion surrounding this. Um, okay. So we have that, and then now we're going to look up, let's see here. Excuse me, okay. Okay. All right, so it says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, right? So when you look at the word silence, the word silence is Strong's number 4623 which is pronounced siopaho, siopaho, to be silent, right? Either uh, voluntary or involuntarily. Become silent, hush, keep, kept silent, quiet, silent. Now, subjection. We're going to look at the word subjection in um, Greek too. So the word subjection means um, it is Strong's number 5292, which is pronounced hoopadage. Hoop hoop ad age. I think I pronounced it right. Hoopad age. It means subjection, submission, obedience. So silence is to hush and be quiet, right? With all subjection is obedience. So let the woman learn in silence with all obedience. But I suffer not a woman to teach. 
So let's look at the word suffer. Right, we're gonna look at the word suffer and we're gonna look at suffer in Greek too. And so it is Strong's number 3958. To suffer, to be acted on. I am acted upon in a certain way, either good or bad. I experience ill treatment or suffer. Properly to feel heavy emotion, especially suffering, affected, experiencing, feeling uh, sensible, the feeling of mind, emotion, passion. Relates to any part of us that feels strong emotion, passion, or suffering. So this is Strong's number 3958. It is pronounced Pasco. Pasco. That's the word in Greek. So, but I suffer not a woman to teach. Which means that he will not, he, he, he's saying that either good or bad, this experience is going to cause some suffering or the feeling of the mind is going to cause some emotion or, or some passions to take place. So, but I suffer not a woman to teach. I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp, usurp authority over the man. So a woman should not assert authority over the man, but to be in silence. So when you see, let's look at this word in Greek too. So what this says is, um, this is Strong's number 831. And it is pronounced authentio, to govern, exercise authority, or to govern, mastery over. Right? Unilaterally take up arms, acting as an autocrat, literally self-appointed, acting without submission. So what this is saying is that this is this complete sentence is saying that women should not teach men in a way where they're exerting authority over the man. You don't take dominance over that man. That's what that means. So now does that mean is that for every man? No. Because we are talking about what what people are we talking about? We are talking about God's children. That's who we are talking about. Instructions on how we should be worshiping. That's what this is all about. Understanding how we are supposed to worship. So in that verse, right? Let's go back. I'm going to go back to the King James Version. So in that verse, we see, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to assert authority over the man, but to be in silence. So we see this word, we see this word man, right? You do not assert that over the man, meaning that don't talk in a way where it's having this authority over him. So authority over him, meaning that you're not in submission to him, right? And so this is not, this scripture is not talking about just any man. 
This scripture is not just talking about a man at your job. This scripture is not just talking about a man that's next door to you. This scripture is not talking about the man that's the uh, Uber driver. This entire chapter is talking about worshiping. Okay, so in order to understand what 1 Timothy chapter 2 is talking about, you have to fully understand what the entire context of this is. It's talking about how how, um, being Christ-like, right? It talks about how women should be. This, This entire thing is talking about how a woman should be with her spouse. That's what this is saying. This isn't talking about just any man. So I don't know who is confused about this, but I'm going to start from the beginning. And so that that way we can all understand what the word of God is saying. And there is no confusion about what God's word is saying. So 1 Timothy chapter 2. Instructions on worship is the title that they give it. And so I want to go and read it from the King James Version. Okay, because there are a lot of people that don't don't read any other version. See, that's a, that's another issue, but that I don't I'm not going to discuss right now. But um, the King James Version of First Timothy chapter two. Let's let's go from the top first one. It says, "I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men." Okay. Now, let's look at this word men, the word men. We're going to look at the word men according to the Strong's Concordance. Okay. So let's look this up. All right. Okay, I think we were, let's look here. You know, First Timothy. First Timothy, here we go. Just make sure it's here. Wait, this is First Timothy and child. Okay, so they don't. They don't actually even have it there. So I'm going to look it up. Um, so the word men in um, Greek is, is Strong's number 3303, right? It means affirmative or concession, an untranslatable particle, generally answered by DE, each of the two introducing a clause intended to be contrasted with each other. Men, a conjunction, indeed, verily true. So a weakened form and a hen's, um, let's see, one, one moment. Let me just get this. I want to give you the correct information. So we understand 
that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28, that, well, no, I'm going to go, yeah, in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28, let me go back there. Actually, we could just look at Proverbs 18 and 22. So, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. So, we go to Genesis 2 and 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united unto his wife and they become one flesh. So, we know that they are now one flesh. So, when it refers to men, when the Bible refers to men, it refers to both man and woman. So, going back to 1 Timothy so we see, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That This is referencing everyone, right? This Verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. That's verse three. Verse four, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? Okay. Verse five, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and apostle i speak the truth in christ and lie not a teacher of the gentiles in faith and verity i will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting see this is to men that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting see that so that's to everybody. Everybody can lift up their hands without any wrath and doubting. Lifting up holy hands. Everybody should lift up their ho they holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broaded hair or gold or pearls or costly array. So what this means is that women shouldn't be too caught up on material things don't focus on those things you should have modest apparel and that's it verse 10 but which becoming women professing godliness with good works so women should profess their godliness with good works let the woman learn in silence with all subjection but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to assert authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed. You see, this is a subsequent sentence after verse 12. So the way you read is if you see a sentence before and a sentence after, that's what the sentence pertains to. It's like a paragraph, right? Um, you're not going to just say, oh, you know, I'm just going to look at this verse and say, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. No, no, no. That's how they used to teach. That's not how you teach. You're going to look at the scriptures before and you're going to look at the scriptures after. Okay. Because we need to know what you're talking about. 
So what are we talking about here? We're not talking about one word or one sentence, okay? So you understand what this is referencing. This is talking about a husband and wife, clearly. So in verse 13, this is right after it says, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to assert authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Why is this sentence repeating exactly like it's subsequently right after the sentence that's talking about not asserting authority over the man? It's saying, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. It's letting you know that a woman should never assert authority over her husband. Okay? In verse 14, why are we talking about, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. We see that this is also a part of not, do not assert authority over the man. Who are we talking about? Adam and Eve. We're not talking about Adam, Eve, and all the people in the world. No. A man leaves who? His father and mother and is united unto his wife and the two become one flesh. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is talking about who? Adam and Eve. Going back here again. Verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. Now, what was the curse that was placed on Eve? She will suffer during childbearing. So let's go look at, let's just look at Genesis chapter two. Okay. That's what I want to go. So, so, cause, because these scriptures overlap. All right. They are actually connected. So it says, um, this, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united into his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay. Now moving forward, we see in um, Genesis chapter three in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this curse, you cur No, I got to go to the ones to the, for the woman. In um, Genesis chapter three, verse 16. So the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing severe, very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Okay. Let's go back to first Timothy chapter two. In verse 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. We talking about a spouse. That's what this is talking about. We're not going to take 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 11 and go around telling everybody, oh yeah, women need to learn in silence. That's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible, this scripture is telling us to learn in silence and subjection of obedience. Who do the woman supposed to be obedient to? Let's see. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and 3. 
But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is man and the head of Christ is God. That's it. So the head of the head of woman is is the man. Who is the man? The man that leaves his father and one the, his father and mother and is united unto his wife and the two become one flesh. That's the man. That man, that's who it is. Not no any man, not the man next door, not the man in at the grocery store. Okay? Not the man at the school. We talking about what man is this scripture referring to? The subjection part of, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is saying, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. It simply means they're talking about subjection is obedience in, in, in Greek. It's obedience. This woman is obedient to her spouse, her husband. Verse 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to assert authority over the man, but to be in silence. Over authority over what man? Not every man. We talking about the man who she's obedient to. That it mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and 3 that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is man. What man are we talking about? We're talking about the man in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. The man that leads his father and mother and is united unto his wife. And the two become one flesh. So this isn't, this isn't hard to understand. Okay, so I, I just went from Old Testament to New Testament. From the Torah to the New Testament. Because the Genesis is the Torah, okay? It's the law. This is where God gives out his, his, um, his provisions, stipulations. So th this is what the word of God is saying. The, and, and you go down to verse 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to assert authority over the man, but to be in silence. Yes, she should listen to her spouse. Because if, if Eve was in silence, she wouldn't have been able to communicate with the serpent. This is clearly telling us that as women, we should allow our spouses, our husbands, to lead us through, we need to be obedient to them. In verse 13, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. So I don't know how many times, I'm not going to keep going over this. This is the last time. I'm simply saying that this scripture is referring to women to learn in silence through her obedience, being obedient to her spouse, the man who left his father and mother and is united unto his wife, and the two have become one flesh. That is what this scripture is referring to. It says in, in verse 13, for Adam was first formed in Eve. This is just supporting the previous sentence in verse 11 and 12. For Adam was first formed in Eve. In verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was the transgression was in the transgression. So verse 13 and 14 supports verse 11 and 12. In verse 15, notwithstanding, 
she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. That also supports verse 11 and 12. So verses 13, 14, and 15 is, is supporting verses 11 and 12 of First Timothy chapter 2. The interesting thing about this is that God allows us to have revelation and discernment through interpretation of his word. So I have been praying for a very long time that God allows me to understand all of the secrets in his word that some people, you know, it may be hard for some people to understand. It isn't spiritual common sense for everybody to understand God's word. But if you are a teacher, most teachers understand the sentence structure. And so you would say, if A and B, then C and D. So what that simply means is that a and B, if A and B occurs, then C and D will occur. That means if, if, if verse 11 and 12 occur, then verse 13, 14, and 15 is not going to occur. So if I was to say, if A and B, if not A and B, then not C and D, right? And so that would mean if you are not obedient to verse 11 and 12, then verse 13, 14, and 15 will occur. That's what that means in teaching as teachers, educators. So it's, just, um, it's a way to support your sentence structure. So I wanted to point this out because there are a lot of men in this world that are led by women. And like one of my main, one of my main issues that like I have as a woman of God is, um, I have noticed that there has been a lot of contamination of men out here when it comes to them having, um, you know, they've been contaminated with passivity. Adam had, Adam was the first man who demonstrated passivity. So Eve became the man and Adam became the woman. He took the position of the woman. He, he was dethroned from his throne as the head because of the woman. And so it, you as a man, men are supposed to know their position. So don't let the world deceive you. Read the word of God. Understand the word of God so that you can know your position in this world. God created you to have masculinity. God also created you to have emotions and feelings too. You understand. You understand things. So every, you were created in God's image. Meaning that you're going to have qualities like God. You are not God. See, God is the creator. You are his creation. But you are like God. Meaning that you can, you have the power like God, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. If you, when you allow the Holy Spirit to, to take presidents in your life and, and permanent residence in your body, what that means is that you are no longer under the subjection or the obedience and commands of a woman. See, because if Adam would have assumed authority, 
then we wouldn't have had to battle the serpent. It was his lack of attention to his throne. Your position. God has positioned you. So I think that one of my main problems that I see is that the, a lot of men has been contaminated by the eaves and they've taken the role of being dethroned as the head of the household and have taken passivity. It doesn't matter about what culture norms says. Culture norms will tell you that it's okay to marry an animal. What will be next after that? Because there are people in certain states that want to marry animals. And due to their lack of discipline, like I said, I had a problem with 1 Corinthians 11 and 3. I know that, you know, I knew I couldn't be in a relationship with a woman, even though she wanted to be in a relationship with me. And I was messing with this woman for three years, but I was also doing other things. So, like, <laughs> I wasn't committed fully to her. So, that's the point that I'm saying that there is no way around what the truth is. Self-discipline. We see that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear so let, let me go to this one scripture. See, I didn't even, I thought I was going to be talking about some other stuff, but it's okay. Um, so what, what God is saying here, go to um, 2 Timothy um, chapter 1 verse 7. For the spirit of God gave us does not make us timid but give gives us power love and self-discipline see lust will have you sleeping with the same sex that's what it had me do sleeping with the same sex also supporting polygamy right that wasn't right but let me explain. God doesn't want us out of control. He wants us in control. When we are led by our desires, then you allow corruption to come into your life. You allow corruption to lead you. You're no longer the man of the house. But now, guess what? You've been dethroned. You've been dethroned from your title. Like Adam. So it doesn't matter what the desires say. It don't matter what people's desires are. Guess what? God is saying that there needs to be order and discipline. Order and discipline in our life. We can't, like I, I promise, I promise. I was just like really going through a battle of lust in a relationship. And I, I don't know what type of relationship it was because I'm not in a relationship. But I pray in the middle of the problem. And God intervened even when I wasn't worthy for him to intervene for me. I said, God, you know what, what my future holds. I want you to intervene on my behalf. I don't want to make the same mistake over and over again, God. I need your power. You said that your strength is made perfect in my weakness, God. 
I need you to be strong for me in my weakness, God. And so that is the point. So God wants us to have love and self-discipline. If we adapt to cultural norms, see, cultural norms is, is all about influence. Once you adapt to a certain lifestyle for so long, it becomes normal. Once the culture becomes a certain way for so long, it becomes normal. Can Don't you understand, like, Donald Trump, like, I really, really, I really uh, enjoy Donald Trump's presidency. I mean, he really, really did provide a lot of stimulus relief. I mean, everywhere I looked, everybody was progressing financially. People I never even seen had money, they had money. He really operated this country like a business, Okay. So I can honestly say that. But like when I look at the other side of that, I say, okay, well, you know, some people, they, they, they didn't like how he used Twitter. He was one of the first presidents to announce certain things on Twitter. That sort of changed the culture of America. Using social media to communicate with the masses. Okay, that's a different approach. But the point of the matter is, is that the culture had changed when Donald Trump was in office. Yes, and like I said, he provided stimulus, stimulus, okay? There were people I seen everywhere. I don't know about you, but everybody that I knew was financially progressing. I mean, people that never had businesses before got businesses and was doing good. They had business after business. Like, I was like, wow, okay, you doing good, okay? So I'm proud of you. But but the point of the matter is, is that when, when culture changes, it, people are going to adapt to these cultural norms you're going to adapt to free speech through twitter x you're going to adapt to these cultural norms these are cultural norms that requires people to have adaptability so now you know you see this lgbtq transgender population but back in the 1970s we see that it was not it was diagnosed as a mental health disorder somewhere along the lines it changed and all of the data that is collected we see that people that are transgender and lgbtq we see that they suffer from the highest rate of suicide over 30 percent of transgender population have attempted suicide within the last 18 months. According to the Trevor Project, they have the highest suicide rate of attempts and suicide success when within the LGBTQ transgender population. The transgender population is the highest in the country. So you have to understand that they endure 
What are they enduring? They're enduring. Um, they they are enduring um depression. They endure stress. They endure rejection from friends, rejection from family. They have a loss of, of family support, friends, network. So it shows that they are put in a position to have higher rates of suicide. But yet the people who are supposed to help them are saying that they have not a mental health concern. There is something seriously wrong with that. If the very people who are supposed to support their mental health is saying that there is no mental health problem, how will they ever get any help? Well, it doesn't seem like the American culture has adapted Fully to helping those people that are transgender or within the LGBTQ community. Because if they were, based off of findings and historical data, they have some they have been battling some of the highest rate of depression in the country. They are having a lot of antipsychotic. Uh, I'm sorry, psychotic breakdown, including borderline personality disorders. But yet they cannot get any help for diagnosis from the American Psychiatric uh, Psychiatry Association. Because if they were to get properly diagnosed, then they would also qualify for disability benefits. And that could probably burden the country as well. But who knows what the motives is. The main point here is to understand that cultural norms is not always looking out in the best interest to benefit the people of this country. These cultural norms is can in fact cause detriment to the success of this country to the ability for the American constituents to be able to thrive in society. So instead of addressing mental health concerns, it's okay to ignore mental health concerns. That correlates with slavery. No acknowledgement there that it impacted the entire United States, including all of the descendants that were oppressed and oppressors. I know people right now who actually have family members that they grew up with that were racist and they moved out of the house, got away from them family members and haven't looked back ever since because they don't want to deal with racist family members. So they come from a family of oppressors and they don't even want to deal with their own family. But the rest of the world look at them and say, oh, okay, you racist, you racist. No, they're not racist. They have racist family members, but they're not racist. 
But in order to understand that we have a society of people that really do believe that multiculturalism is good. They believe in ethnic diversity. They support diversity in America. But media platforms, I don't know. I'm not going to blame anyone. We don't do the scapegoating here. I like to talk about the facts and what God is saying in his word. I don't make assumptions. So going back to understanding cultural norms, cultural norms will say, okay, it's okay for you to, you know, marry the same sex. When I, when I worked for President Obama's office, I worked for the Senate office, not the campaign. And that's why I did my internship. And after I left there, I thought about like, okay, so I believe in God, but then I supported working at this, working at his Senate office, basically didn't support the ideas that I have with God. So President Obama actually supported same-sex marriage. He is the one who pushed the bill through for it. And then Taylor Swift is the one who, in 2019, uh, uh, supported the bill to get passed to have transgender in, you know, um, sharing the same bathroom as um, heterosexuals. So I've talked about that on my other podcast of um, The Devil's Tone and other hypnotic tones and music and their influence, celebrities' influence in this process. So going back to understand that cultural norms will have you adapt to a way that is in contrary to what God is saying. And so if the if the world is saying it's okay to marry the same sex, it's okay to sleep with the same sex, it's also okay to sleep with an animal. There are some people that have been pushing legislation to marry their pets. They want to marry their pets. And so I will post all of this. I've already posted this on the previous blog. I've talked about it on the previous blog of, um, I think it was Love, Hate, and Benevolence. So this is the thing. It's not about what what cultural norms are because cultural norms will teach you that it's okay to lack discipline, that it's okay to satisfy your desires. It's okay to sleep with an animal. It's okay to have the same sex. That's what cultural norms will have you adapting to. But see, when you are able to have self-control and self-discipline, That's when you can truly, truly live in a position where God has placed you. You will be maneuvered exactly where God wants you to have. You will have the peace that comes from God. But due to lack of discipline, then life is going to always be chaotic. Because God wants us to have 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. God wants us to have the spirit of God that does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So don't 
Don't adapt to cultural norms. Some things are okay, while others are not. Because cultural norms are headed in the wrong direction against God. So due, due to same-sex marriage and transgender acceptance and all of these different mental health concerns being ignored, now there is a new wave of cultural norms about to be erupted. And that's, so the transgender identity health, mental health concerns, those things have caused an, uh, a birth of individuals wanting to marry their pets. So now that's, that's a major issue. But people that love their, their pets, they are really wanting to marry their pets. They feel that they should have a right to marry their animals. And so now, what about marrying objects? You have some people that want to marry objects. This is real, okay? So we see how when there is a lack of discipline, a lack of order, and people are just living life satisfying their desires, they get confused about the position that they're supposed to have in life. So if they marry their animal, who's the man? Who who do they listen to? Is it the animal or is it the person? I don't have to talk about the transgender population when it comes to that. The Bible tells us clearly in 1 Corinthians 11 and 12, the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man and the head of Christ is God. So... The woman and woman, who they going to listen to? God has 1 Timothy chapter 2 in place for a reason. That women should learn in silence with all subjection. For Adam was for first formed, then Eve in verse 13. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. So if you have two women... That are leading each other. Then you will have two people. That will be deceived. So one have to like lead the other. And so that, that's in contrary to what the word of God says. And I'm speaking from my experience. Because like I said. I was with women. Okay. And I was with a woman for almost three years. Then I didn't want to be in a relationship with her. Because I knew that it wasn't my position to be with a woman. God did not create me to be with a woman. I would be out of context and out of the will, plan, and purpose of God. That means that desires would have consumed me. So we are not supposed to allow our desires to consume us. We are supposed to allow the spirit of God to help us overcome our desires, which is why when I was sitting up there, I'm like, okay, so God, I need you to intervene. Now I need your 
I need your power to become perfect in me right now in my weakness, God. This is what your word said, God. And that's exactly what I told God. I want you, please intervene, God. Because I don't want to marry the wrong person. I don't want to be with someone that does not believe in God. That's talking to me about Satan Bible. I don't want that. I don't want that type of stuff in my life. Okay? So that's the point. Everything happens for a reason. And so when we're going through what we're going through, we have all have been through something. But it starts with you all, men and women, everybody, to understand what your position is in this world. And if you continue to live a life that is attached to a slave of uh, being a slave to sin, then you will continue to be deceived. So if you deceived in this one area, the chances are you're going to be deceived in a lot of different areas. And any room for progress isn't going to be made because that's what was happening to me. It isn't just me. It's, uh, it's everybody. We all experience some type of deception in our lives. But that is because of our choices. God allows us to follow our desires until we can learn from them. So God doesn't force you to choose him. He's not going to force us to love him or to follow him or to be obedient to his word. So when people are out here saying, okay, well, yes, I believe in God. Okay, you believe in God. Well, what do you mean you believe in God? You don't believe in submitting to your spouse. You don't believe in marriage. You believe in same-sex marriage. You believe in this, this identity that didn't come from God because of deception. So there are other internal inconsistencies that are embedded in the lives of some people that really need counseling. So... I'm going to end on that note tonight. I got about a minute left. I'm at the two hour mark. I would just like to pray. Father God, we come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for giving us your word today. God, thank you for using me and allowing me to minister to those that needed to hear. God, allow us to be made strong. God, you, you said that in your word, it says that in our weakness, God, you are made perfect, God. So become perfect in our weakness, God, and do not let us fail God intervene on our behalf and every single weakness in our life no matter who it is no matter what God all your children that is seeking you God even those that are lost let us all pray and believe in your power and let your will be done in our life no matter what in the name of Jesus Christ it is sealed in your time and blood amen all right thank you all so much for joining me I'll see you all on Sunday for um Sunday prayer line. So uh join me on Sunday at 7 p.m. Thank you so much. Have a good night.